think I'm a fool? I didn't think so. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this before. I think you just said something. Think, 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 think. Yes, you can tell from that music that I'm back, and you know what that means. You either love it or hate it, but it is time to talk about how you think about and view this world. Which means I've come to you to tell you that God does not save good people. Ah, that's one of those duh moments, but it is something that is necessary to understand, comprehend, and internalize. Hum, 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 be the knowledge. Humana, 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 humana. Is that like a caddyshack? You know, be the ball. Now, if you have not been following along, stop what I'm doing right now and at least read the titles of the others in this series. Excuse me. It will do you good because it'll help make sense of where we've been. If you do not have at least a functioning working knowledge in your brain of what we're about to cover next, stop and go read Genesis 37 through 50. It will most assuredly do you good and will help make sense of everything we're going to do. Because again, I'm not going to cover all of this can't. We'll be here all day. We would never finish this, and you would be annoyed, and I would be annoyed, and this is what the local church is for. This is why you go have sermons on Sunday morning, so you can slow down and take your time. This is why you have Bible studies during your week at church, so you can do this. All we're trying to do here in our little our little 30-ish minute window is give you a gloss, give you a rundown and a heads up on how this works. So, what we've looked at thus far is God is the creator, God is the sustainer, the one who perseveres. God is the Savior and Judge. He is faithful down through the ages, which means he is precise and long-suffering with his people. And he is the accomplisher of his tasks. Today, we're going to look at one of those tasks, what we call, big fancy theological word, sanctification, meaning God is the sanctifier. Because he is the creator, we are dependent upon him. He is the savior and judge, and he is the one who accomplishes all of these things. He is obviously the one who accomplishes our sanctification, and I can prove it too. You ready? Genesis chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Go read the records of the generations of Jacob. It will, in fact, do you good. We're going to skip along. What you end up with is Joseph, the 17-year-old son, pasturing the flocks, has a dream. And unlike Martin Luther King, I almost stopped at Martin Luther, I'm like, wrong dude. Unlike Martin Luther King, this was not a uniting dream. He said to them, listen, I had a dream. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to your to my sheaf. His brother said, are you actually going to reign over us? Right. Quick little note. Did Joseph have the dream? Yes. Did it mean what he thought it was going to mean? Um, yes, also. Did he have to present it like this? No. No, he didn't. And therein lies the problem. And he has the second dream, right? Sun and the moon and the stars are all bowing down and... And isn't it just wonderful that this sweet little Joseph is going to be the ruler over his entire family? In a culture where you honor father and mother, in a culture that is patriarchal in nature. <clears throat> Excuse me, once again. Yeah, this is this is not good and not a way to endear yourself. Again, no heroes amongst the people in Scripture. There are none, none, not even a little bit. Not, not even a little bit. 
No heroes, nobody good, no, not one, no, not one. Instead, you have God redeeming and sanctifying people. Now, I say that because while the brothers are not going to act in the most upright and righteous of manners, understatement of the year right there, Joseph isn't exactly a lovable character here. I mean, we've been introduced to him for like 10 verses here, and already you're like, you're kind of a brat, dude. You got definite little brother syndrome going on here. So they're out pasturing the flocks, and Joseph is sent out to check on them, and so they sit around. This is how much they hate him. When they saw Joseph from a distance, and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, Here comes the dreamer. Now then, come, let us kill him and throw him into one of these pits, and we'll say a wild beast devoured him, and then let's see what becomes of his dreams. There's mad, there's angry, and then there's mad enough to chop you up into bits and throw you in a pit and tell your dad that an animal ate you. I mean... (laughs) This is this is not a happy family. They are not passing the potato salad. They're going to throw the potatoes at you after they've been frozen rock hard, apparently. Again, no heroes here. Nobody wins. Now, Reuben gets to go to plotting here, and he's going to tell him, well, don't kill him, just throw him in the pit, and that way Reuben can redeem himself for having the audacity to sleep with one of Jacob's uh, wives, which was a brilliant strategy of himself. So he's going to rescue him and get some credit for himself and, and bring himself a little bit of a, bring himself a little bit of familial redemption here. But it doesn't work because while they're sitting down having lunch while Joseph cries in the pit, some Midianite traders pass by. So they pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him, and Joseph is off to Egypt. Such lovely people, such a lovely family. Now again, no heroes here. Remember going backwards. Reuben is bad. And Judah's got the idea to kill him. Joseph is a brat. The other brothers go along. Jacob is unwilling to defend his family in his honor and to disciple his sons. There's, there's no one here who gets it. And just in case you thought Judah was at the, the minimum, you know, as bad as he could be at this point, oh, it gets worse. So in the middle of this narrative, you have Genesis 38, which I actually think is beautifully stuck here on purpose. Um, a lot of modern commentator, commentators would like to tell you, well, this is this is an out-of-place narrative because it interrupts the Joseph arc. No, no, it, perp- it perfectly breaks up the Joseph arc because it gives you a little picture into Judah. It's kind of like a flashback in a movie. You've had the first act, you've set up the conflict, and now you're going to do a flashback on one of the characters that will become important later. Welcome to Judah and Tamar. Uh, Long story short here in Genesis 38, Judah's got evil kids. They get married to a lady named Tamar. They are so evil that God kills them. Um, I will let you read that and go from there. Well, according to the law of Leverite marriage, the next brother in line is supposed to redeem the childless widow. He is supposed to marry her, care for her, and raise children with her. The first child he has is not accounted as his offspring. It is accounted as the offspring of his deceased brother. This makes inheritance easier. It makes a whole lot of things easier. And it basically is a social services program for widows. So there you go. Everybody's happy. Well, Judah's thinking it's probably not a good idea, so he doesn't let the third son marry Tamar. He kind of just pretends like this never happened. So after a considerable time, 
Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died, and when the time of mourning ended, Judah went up to his sheep shearer at Timnah, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And it was told to Tamar, Behold, your father-in-law is going to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she removed her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapped herself and sat in the gate of a name, which is on the road to Timnah, for she saw that Shelah had grown up and she had not been given him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, a prostitute. For she said, for she had covered her face. I, I just love that. There's so much cultural stuff that we just don't get. So because she's got the veil on, Judah's like, hey, there's a hooker. There we go. Here, now, so he turned aside by the road and said, here, now, let me come into you. That's a polite way of saying it. For he did not know she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? Oh, negotiations over the price. He said, therefore, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And well, she said, will you give me a pledge until you send it? Smart lady. I mean, you know, don't, I'm not going to take payment like this. You can't go with the, um, oh, the name just went right out of my head. What was that man's name? The dude, um, the hamburger guy will gladly pay you Thursday for a hamburger today. Wimpy, wimpy. Yeah, you don't go with the wimpy method of prostitution. If you're going to hand over the goods, you take payment up front. And so that's basically what she's doing. He said, what shall I, what pledge shall I give you? And she said, well, your seal and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him, which once again shows you that God has a sense of humor. Because who's in charge of the womb? God is. So God opens and closes, and God shows now. You gotta love it. So later on, he sends the goat, but there's no prostitute there. And so rather than be thought a fool because he can't seem to find this lady he owes a goat to... He's like, eh, forget it. She, she's got the deal. She's got the cord and the staff. So three months later comes along. Well, you know what happens after three months. Depending on the woman, you can start noticing things. So three months later, your daughter-in-law, Judah's informed, Tamar has played the harlot, and behold, she is also with child by harlotry. Oh, so she's prostituting herself, and she got herself knocked up. So Judah said, bring her out. Let her be burned. Gotta love that. Quick little way to make the prostitutes go away, isn't it? It was while she was being brought out that she sent her father-in-law, saying, I am with child by the man to whom these things belong. And she said, please, examine and see whose signet ring and cords and staff are these. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I. Low bar alert. Inasmuch as I did not give her my son, Sheila, and he did not have relations with her again, it came about at the time she was giving birth. Behold, there were twins in the womb. And it took place while she was giving birth. One put out a hand, and the midwife took a scarlet thread in her hand, saying, This one came out first. It came about as he drew his hand back. Behold, the brother came out. What a breach you have made for yourself. So he named him Perez. You have to remember these family lines later, because remember, as we get to the end of this, that Judah's going to be uh, kind of important. So now with that, you get back to Joseph. He's in Egypt. God is with him. Joseph is remaining faithful, so he's in charge of the prison. He's able to, by the power and grace of God, interpret dreams. Again, he's in prison because Potiphar's wife is an immoral woman and trying to sleep with Joseph, and Joseph actually has some standards that he just didn't find her attractive. I don't know. But he's able to interpret the dreams. This is chapter 40, and he gets them right. And you get the execution, and you get the elevation, and Joseph sits in prison for a couple of years. Go team! Everybody's happy. Now Pharaoh's freaking out because he's got these cows and corn sheaves, and uh, this is not good not even a little bit so of course i said i said corn it's probably not corn it's grain i'm 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 living in the midwest here folks the corn is being put into the ground and of course joseph is able to interpret the dream and i love joseph's standing here though he doesn't do it joseph answered pharaoh it is not me 
God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Just like Daniel testifying before Nebuchadnezzar, it is God who interprets the dreams, not Joseph. So he tells him the famine is coming, you know, take advice, you know, find somebody smart who knows how to manage things and figure this stuff out and, and make sure you accumulate all the abundance you can accumulate so that when the famine hits, we don't all die because we've actually been smart and set stuff aside. And Pharaoh's thinking, you know, you know who we should put in charge of this brilliant idea of yours? The guy who had the brilliant idea. So Joseph is out of prison. He is vizier over Egypt. He is second in command. He's given a wife from one of the priests. He gets some children and names them Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and my father's household. And his second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So Joseph makes Pharaoh rich because the people... During the plenty, Joseph buys up everything he can get his hands on, and during the years of famine, he starts selling it back. Well, they run out of money, and so they sell their land, and then when they run out of land, they sell themselves. So if you ever wonder how Pharaoh gets to own everything in Egypt, you can thank Joseph, which probably doesn't help the Israelites uh, you know, later on, but is what it is at this point. So the famine is severe everywhere upon the whole earth. So Jacob, again, unintentional comedy in the Bible is the best. Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt and said to his sons, why are you staring at one another? I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us. <laughs> I love that. Looking at the kids. What are you idiots doing just staring at each other? Go buy food. What, do I have to do everything around here? It's like a bad mafia movie. Hey, I got to think for all of you. Come on, go buy some grain so we don't starve to death. Hurry up. There you go. <clears throat> so, Joseph is ruler of the land. It's been a while. It's been a, a long, long, long while. Almost two decades. So, Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize Joseph. They think he's an Egyptian. Joseph starts playing games with them. You know, calls them spies, decides he wants to hold Simeon hostage. Why? What's the point here? Well, remember, why is Joseph in Egypt? He's in Egypt because they didn't care about Joseph. They're like, eh, we can kill him. We can sell him. Who who gives a rat's tail? I mean, who, you know, it doesn't matter. We send him down there, and nobody cares. So how do you test him? Well, you take another one. Do you guys care anymore? Because if you don't, you go home, have your grain, be good to go, and what have you. Bring me the family I want to see. Otherwise, your brother rots in jail. How much do you care? So Simeon is held, and they eventually return. And, of course, now Simeon's gone, and Joseph wants Benjamin. Jacob doesn't want to let Benjamin go because he's already lost Joseph. He's already lost Rachel. He doesn't want to lose his connection to the beloved wife, so he doesn't want to let Benjamin go. So, problem though. Famine is severe in the land, and it's going on for a long, long seven years. So you eventually run out of food, y'all buy. What do you got to do? Well, you got to go back. So Benjamin goes back. Joseph sees him. He gives them he gives them a banquet. He parties with them, and he sneaks the money again and the silver cup back into Benjamin's bag. As the brothers are sending back, Joseph sends the guard out, retrieves them. We're gonna lock Benjamin up in prison. Remember, uh, Reuben has pledged. Did I say that right? Hold on, hold on. I'm gonna make sure. Yeah, I don't wanna get us messed up here. I probably should have skimmed that. Is it Reuben or Judah that? Gives his own kid surety. You know, it's Judah. Judah said to his father Israel, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die. We as well as you and our little ones. I myself be surety for you. You may hold me responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame before you forever. For if we had not delayed, surely by now we could have returned twice. <laughs> yeah, because that'll make it all better. <clears throat> so, Benjamin goes back. 
He's now arrested. He's in trouble because they're all freaking out. The brothers are realizing that this is judgment, and you get the longest continuous human speech in all of Genesis. You ready? Judah approached the man, saying, he's approaching Joseph, My lord, may your servant please speak a word in my lord's ear. Do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. My lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my lord, We have an old father and a little child of his old age. Now his brother is dead, so he alone is left to his mother, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. But we said said to my lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for he should leave his father, and his father would die. For if he would leave his father, his father would die. You said to your servants, however, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. Thus it came about when we went up with your servant, my father. We told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back, buy us a little food. But we said, we can't go down. If our youngest brother is not with us, then we will not. Then we will go down, for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant said to us, your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons, and then one went out from me. And I said, surely he's torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me also, and if harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to, gr- to the grave in sorrow. Now, therefore, when I come up to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in his life of the lad, when he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. Thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to, to the grave in sorrow. For your servant became surety for the lad, my father, saying, if I do not bring him back, then you let me bear the blame. Therefore, please, let me, your servant, remain instead of the lad, a slave to my lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers, for how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, for fear that I see the evil that would overtake my father? This is why the Tamar story is so important where it is. <coughs> Judah's the one that's got the idea, hey, let's kill the boy. Why not? Let's let's get this done and over with. Hey, you know. He's sitting in the pit because Reuben doesn't want to kill him because Reuben's got, you know, a sentimental streak going on here. Well, why don't we just sell him? All right, fine. And since Judah's not going to deal kindly with his daughter-in-law, and he's not going to work fairly, and he's going to be finding prostitutes laying on the side of the road, I just, I'm never getting over that. It's not a hot dog stand, it's a prostitute stand. So, he's now the one going, I tell you what, you send the kid back, and I'll stay in his place. This is sanctification. This is growth. This is what Joseph is testing. It's also growth in Joseph. He's no longer the bitter, angry man. He's compassionate. He's concerned. I mean, part of this is probably just to make sure they don't treat Benjamin like dirt. Make sure that they're actually growing and treating him fairly. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood behind him, and he cried, Everyone go out for me! So there was no man with him. He wept so loudly, the Egyptians heard it. And then he tells his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father alive? But the brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So, family reunion kicks off. There's no reason to hide. There's no reason to worry. Joseph has grown and matured. Judah has grown and matured. The brothers have grown and matured. Everybody's growing and maturing. Who gets the credit for this? God does. Remember the, remember the genesis, ha 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 ha, of this family. They are broken from their very beginning. Jacob is on the run from his brother. He's trying to find a wife. His future father-in-law is conniving to not give him the wife. The sisters are now married to the same man, and they're competing with each other. They're selling their conjugal rights. I mean, it's unbelievably broken. They're engaging in idolatry. The kids are a mess. There's no heroes here. And in the midst of this brokenness, God is still at work, again, sustaining this family, faithful to his promises, delivering a people, and fulfilling what he has 
forced hold that he would do. And in the midst of that, he's also still growing and strengthening these people. So Joseph is Joseph sends the brothers back. They bring Jacob down. Jacob stands before Pharaoh. They're told that they can settle in Goshen because the Egyptians don't like the the Egyptians don't like herd uh, shepherds herders. I can't think of the word shepherds. The Egyptians don't like shepherds, so they'll get to be put apart. And since he's good at the job, Pharaoh's flocks and herds will get put in Jacob's care. And fun and prosperity are had by all. <clears throat> so. Jacob is going to die, he blesses the sons, and he starts giving out prophecies of what is to come. And we won't go through all of this, but again, Reuben, even though he's the firstborn, he's cast aside because of his sin, because of his wickedness. Simeon, Levi, next in line, they're cast aside. Why? Because of what happened with Shechem. And you're going, well, Judah's next. Yeah, Judah should be cast aside, right? Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be in the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp, and from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of his people's. Shiloh is a transliteration. It's not really the, a dude named Shiloh. Name literally means to him to whom it belongs. So the scepter, the ruling staff, will be upon Judah until he claims it. Now, who is he? Well, if you've not been paying attention, you have no idea. But if you have been paying attention, he is the king. He is the son born of the woman who will crush the serpent and his offspring, who will give rest to his people. That is who he is. We now know that comes from Judah, but you're going, wait a minute. Judah wants to kill the kid, sells him to the Ishmaelites, is having sex with the prostitutes and mistreating his daughter-in-law. Yep. And all of that is true. And Saul engaged in foolishness and idiocy and dishonored God, and David slept with Bathsheba and had Uriah killed and took a census and was not a good guy in any shape, form, or fashion. Saul is judged and David is redeemed. Why? The heart before God. Reuben is not a repentant soul. He's trying to save, he's trying to save Joseph to cover his own bacon. Simeon and Levi just don't care. They just don't care. They're just cruising along like they always have. Simeon's thrown in jail, whatever, you know. In Judah, you actually see the sacrifice of one who is being redeemed. You see the sacrifice of one who is being sanctified. It's the heart, the problem. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And what you're seeing here with Joseph and with Judah is growth in that heart, growth in that relationship to God. Therefore, Judah is not rejected, not because he's good, but because God is good. And everything continues on. Twelve tribes are blessed. Israel dies. They carry him home. He's buried at the cave. And then you get Joseph dying. Joseph is not taken home. Why? In fulfillment of the promise of Genesis 15, Joseph is going to wait with his people. So the people will be strangers and enslaved in a land 400 years. That, that clock is already ticking. Jacob Israel has gone down to Egypt. The clock is now ticking. They will be enslaved in Egypt, and when they come out, because they will come out because God has promised they will come out, and they will occupy the land that was promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. When they come out, Joseph wants to go with because he is trusting in God, trusting in the promises that he has made, and believing that a faithful God will faithfully deliver his people. There's Genesis. 
there's your seven foundations that we pull out of this book. Now, we're not going to stop. I'm going to take – we're doing a quick little housekeeping aside here. We are not going to stop marching through the Bible, but we are predominantly now going to start relating what we're seeing in Scripture. And we're going to keep taking it in big chunks just so you know. But we're going to relate it back to these foundations as they help us understand who God is and what he's doing. So what is he doing here? Again, we said it was sanctification, that God is the sanctifier. Who's the hero here? Because I keep pointing out that there aren't any. And the reason there aren't any is because there aren't any. (coughs) Joseph isn't healed by time. He's healed by God. His faith in God, strengthening him in prison. His closeness with God, enabling him to receive the... the, uh, interpretation of the visions, his peace with God enabling him to rejoice at the family that is given to him by God. Judah isn't healed by time. He isn't healed by circumstance. He's healed by conviction. She's more righteous than I am, which again, low bar, but dude, what do you think that does to the heart and soul and mind of a man when you realize that this lady literally selling herself to me on the side of the highway is more righteous than me? Yeah, see, that's conviction. That's the work of God. That's understanding that, hey, what's going on with Simeon and what's going on with Benjamin? This is because of what we did to Joseph. We were wrong, and we're getting our comeuppance. So what do we do to make it right? We sacrifice ourselves because we were wrong. And again, the king or the family line that will be king in Judah, offering a sacrifice on behalf of another. Hmm, no biblical imagery at play here at all, is there? No, not in the least. Why is it there, though? Because God is accomplishing, God is building, God is strengthening. Christian, nothing has changed. The God who made us is the God who sustains us, is the God who rescues us, is the God who will judge our enemies, who is faithful to his people, who will be precise about his plans, and is long-suffering with the sin of the world and the sin of us, but will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, is the one who will accomplish our redemption, will accomplish the good works that he has planned for us, and will strengthen our hearts, minds, and souls for the day of visitation. It is God who does all of these things, and all of these things can be seen as you go through Genesis. So, what have we learned here today, children? All the people are bad. (laughs) Time doesn't heal all wounds. God does. And God will deliver his people into his kingdom. So, Questions, comments, complaints, send them to info at practicaltheologyministries.com. Go to the website, practicaltheologyministries.com. You can find all the social medias that we're not very active on. We apologize, but life gets in the way. We have fun, and I've been doing tech support all week on the computer, it feels like, trying to get it to work. So hopefully it's going to behave itself, but I make no promises. So hopefully life will get back to normal. Uh, continue to pray for Lou and his family. They've been having some health issues. It's kind of That's what kept Lou out last week. So we might be able to get back to a regular schedule this week. Don't know. I'm not going to make you any promises. So that means until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good.